0: Hot stoves in winter? Not so bad. But in summer? No thanks. That's where we're happy we found Daily Harvest. Have you heard of it? Think delicious foods, all built on organic fruits and vegetables, shipped right to your door. But stay fresh in your freezer with no preservatives, no added sugar or artificial anything. We really like Daily Harvest scoops. It's their plant-based ice cream that's gluten and dairy-free. Kind of incredible, especially the strawberry and rich ripple berry compote one. Perfect for summer days. But you can also get anything from harvest bowls to flatbreads, smoothies, and more. Stay cool, calm, and collected during the summer heat. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter code MYTHS to get $25 off your first box. That's code MYTHS for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. dailyharvest.com. This week on Myths and Legends, we're back in the story of Robin Hood, and we'll see why you shouldn't party with people that want to kill you, and that if someone wants to pay you way too much money for your stinky clothes, that might be too good to be true. Then, on the Creature of the Week, you'll see how you can cure baldness and other male issues by capturing this deviously cute animal and sucking the marrow from its bones. This is Myths and Legends, episode 232, Public Enemy. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We're back in the stories of Robin Hood, a famous British outlaw who robs from the rich and gives to the poor... Even though this is part of a larger series of Robin Hood stories, it really is an okay place to jump in if you're new. These stories come to us as more contained, episodic tales. And all you really need to know for today's story, is that it's in 12th century England. Robin is a famous outlaw, who robs from the rich and gives to the poor. He lives in Sherwood Forest with a band of merry men, including the massive Little John, the lapsed Friar Tuck, the musician, Alan Adale, Robin's nephew, Will Scarlet, and more. I currently have Maid Marian, a former servant of the Queen and a woman from Robin's past, undercover with the evil Sheriff of Nottingham, a man who plotted the downfall of Robin's father and the impetus for Robin's life of crime. We'll jump into today's tale with, well, everything going sideways. Robin's enemies have all banded together to ensure that the famous outlaw will not escape again. Robert. A knight that Robin helped had come with a warning, but even now it was too late to fight. It was over. Robin's band in Sherwood Forest was surrounded. The attackers gave them an ultimatum. Surrender, or they would burn the forest down. It was the King's Wood after all, and he would rather see it destroyed than watch Robin escape again. Robin, Little John, Friar Tuck, Will Scarlet, and the others had made enemies before priests, bishops, priors, the previous sheriff of Nottingham. The merry men had always flown under the radar, but now they had poked a bear. A sleeping giant had woken. Dozens of mounted knights stood on the edge of the forest with torches, ready to set the wood alight and kill whatever came out of it. Robin thought back on the previous few days, on running dozens of miles over land, staying just one step ahead of his enemies, a flight from danger, into danger, and it had all started with an invitation. That's it? That's all a night at this inn costs? A young man, a royal page, laughed. Wow, things were so much cheaper out here in the country. In London, where I'm from, because I work for the queen, notice my flawless hair and silken clothes, a night in a hotel would be much more expensive. Would be nicer, though. His boots lifted as a roach skittered by. The innkeeper, tavern owner, bartender, all the same guy, looked at the locals in the linking green cloaks, who were already eyeing the kid. He usually didn't approve of them doing what they did to his customers, but did they want to step in here? <laughs> the young man laid the money on the table. Oh, and they were just outside of Nottingham, right? Maybe the innkeeper could help him find someone. He was looking for Robin Hood? He lived in these parts, right? The innkeeper set down a drink and looked again to the guys in green, which the page read as non-responsive. The page took a drink and turned to yell to the entire bar. Robin Hood! Robin Hood! Could anyone help him find Robin Hood? He was from out of town, so far from London. Basically, no one knew he was here. He had money though, lots of money. He held up a gold piece. Is this a lot of money to you people? I have no context for how much money is a lot to you guys because my family has been part of the aristocracy longer than this place has been a country. What was I saying? Oh yeah, I have a lot of money on me. The bar looked not to the person speaking, but to the two guys sitting next to him. Will Scarlet and Much the Miller's son. They snatched the gold coin from his hand and said that they would be happy to take the evidently very lost young man to Robin Hood. As they grabbed him by the shoulder and started to walk him from the bar, they told him it was going to cost him a lot more though. The page smiled. Awesome. Like he said, he had a lot of money. Richard Partington, the queen's page, sat in front of Robin Hood, munching on some bread and sipping the bandit's wine. Oh, your guys took my bag at the door, Richard said. He had some money in there. Robin smiled. Everything would be fine. After Richard's donation to their cause, Robin was sure he could find someone who would pay his ransom, his travel expenses, home. Richard nodded. Yeah, his family had a lot of money. No worries there. But Robin should probably see... This. He held up his hand and turned the ring on it around, the top of which had been previously facing inward, hiding a jewel encrusted signet. May I see it? Robin asked. And the page slipped it from his finger, pressing it into Robin's hand. Absolutely. It was one of a kind, given to him by the queen herself. Robin slipped it on his own finger. It was a perfect fit. He wouldn't be able to fence it without melting it down, but it would be a nice trophy. May I keep it? Robin said, holding it out and watching it sparkle in the firelight. Oh, absolutely, the page replied. The page replied with a smile that hadn't left his face. Despite him being a captive in a den of thieves, Robin looked to the page. That was different. Usually when he took priceless heirlooms, people protested said, anything. What was up with this guy? The page said, yeah, Marion had given them the measurements. That stopped Robin dead. Marion. His Marion. Is there any other? Richard asked, and then took a sip. He said, yeah, she used to work for the queen, as Robin knew, and her majesty was confused when Marion left to go become the page for some nobody sheriff in a faraway town. But when the queen followed up, she learned about Robin Hood, Marion's husband. Richard raised his glass to Robin. Congrats. Robin thanked him, but said he didn't come all this way to give his congratulations. Richard nodded. He did not. He came all this way to deliver an invitation. You see, the king and queen were medieval royalty. Theirs wasn't a marriage of love, but a product of an alliance between two aristocrats who had long since died. All that to say, now, in the Middle Ages, they low-key hated each other. They were constantly trying to one-up one another, and there was an archery competition coming up. The best in the kingdom would compete for a massive amount of wealth in front of the king and queen themselves. Robin had already been putting his impeccable aim to use humiliating the king out here in the country. How would he like to do so to his face? Robin smiled. He was honored, but that sounded like a trap. Richard shrugged It absolutely did. But if Robin put any stock in the queen's word, in Marion's word, then he was welcome to come. The queen would ensure his safe travel to and from. He only had to win, which no one doubted he could do. Robin studied the ring on his finger, bit his lip, and nodded. All right. He would do it. The page grinned and told Robin and his men where they should be and when. He rose and his bag was placed in his hand, all the gold remaining inside. Be there, show the ring, win, he said, before turning to walk off alone, into the darkened forest. It was then Robin realized that the fool in the bar, the one with the money, and the tactless pomp, and the, wow, was that a jeweled saddle? Yeah, he was really asking to get robbed, and be taken straight to Robin Hood. It had all been a plan or he had just been some out-of-touch noble who thought his extravagant wealth insulated him from any consequences. "'Hey, Richard,' Robin called out, as the page spurred on his white horse to a walk. "'I can't tell if you're, like, a complete fool or the smartest person I've ever met,' Robin said. Richard smiled. "Eh, "'You know, he got that a lot.' Robin, washed and garbed in a blue cloak, stepped across the gate of London Town. His second-in-command, Little John, his cousin, Will Scarlet, and his minstrel, Alan Dale were by his side. They were as safe as they could be. Each man wore a simple cloth cap lined with steel and a coat of linked mail underneath their shirts. Robin jumped when their four were five and the page, Richard Partington seemed to materialize by their side hey guys he said Robin asked where he had been Richard shrugged oh here and there definitely not following their progress the entire time tracking them through the forest Robin asked if was he serious right now Richard laughed who knows that's the fun how was the inn in Melton Mowbray looked nice Robin asked how the page knew where they stayed the previous night Richard shrugged eh, just a guess they should follow him straight to the queen though the city was full of knights who had been charged with hunting them down. And those steel caps and mail coats would block some arrows, but not every arrow. Will felt his mail. How did Richard know they were wearing mail? The page grinned again. Right this way. When the door opened, revealing the queen's ladies-in-waiting, little John grinned. Ladies? Robin told him to dial that back, man. They were guests. Don't make things weird. Then, Robin saw the queen herself. Queen Eleanor. He rushed up and bowed low, saying, quote, "'Here I am, Robin Hood. Thou didst bid me to come, and lo, I do thy bidding. I give myself to thee as thy true servant, and will do thy commanding, even if it be to the shedding of the last drop of my life's blood.'" The queen nodded. "'Sure. Okay. She looked at Richard. You told him that it's just an archery competition, so I can one-up my husband, right?' She asked Robin to just kind of pump the brakes with the undying fealty thing. She was grateful for it, but she didn't need him to die for her, just win for her. The group had dinner together. Robin told the queen of their various exploits. Marian had already filled her in on some, but she really liked hearing about how the Bishop of Hereford, a pompous man who was always at her husband's ear, spent a few days with the bandits. Alan sang for them, and it was a magical evening. And for a time... Robin forgot that he was just the pawn in a fight and an unhappy marriage. So, when it comes to the competition, I'm just going to get right to it. You know how it goes. Robin arrived at Finsbury Field the next day to see 800 archers. King Henry rode in on a white horse, took a seat next to Queen Eleanor, both of them on purple thrones. The king looked on the ranks warmly, and the shooting got started. They were in 10 groups of 80, and the best three would compete again against each other, to see who was the best in each group, which would compete against each other for the prize of 90 pounds, a silver bugle, and a quiver of gold-tipped arrows. Second prize was 100 bucks. And that's not how it's meant today. It was literally 100 bucks from the king's fields, but you had to go out and get them yourself, by killing them. Third prize was two tons of wine, which is kind of misleading because that's T-U-N ton, two large casks of wine not two tons, T-O-N-S. Though, wine is about eight and a third pounds per gallon, and a T-U-N ton contains 256 gallons, so at 512 gallons, two T-U-N tons are pretty much two T-O-N tons of wine. Let's move on. The men shot, the expected knights won, everything was buttoned up. And as some peasants tried to figure out how to load two metric tons of wine onto a wagon, Queen Eleanor turned to King Henry. So, did he think that those knights out there were the best archers in all of Merry England? The king said, yes, they literally just had a competition to decide exactly that. The queen smirked. Hmm. The king turned, what? The queen shrugged, oh, nothing, just what would he say if she found archers that could match his? Or better his? What would he bet? The king said, uh, sure. Sure. He would throw in 10 more tons of wine, 10 tons of ale, and 400 bows to anyone who could beat his best. Right here. Right now. And pardons? The queen asked. The king said that's pretty specific, but sure. If someone could shoot better than his guys, he would pardon them for any crimes they committed for 40 days. Now, it's weird that he worded it like that. Basically, he's reserving the right to go after someone again for crimes committed in the past at the end of 40 days but the way he said it sounds like he's encouraging people to commit crimes for 40 days. I thought more people would step forward at the prospect of 20 metric tons of alcohol and the ability to do, like, a purge thing for the next month. But when the king looked down in the crowd, only three emerged into the field. Robin, Little John, and Will Scarlet. The bishop's face blanched, and the queen smiled. Robin Hood said that he and his two companions would take that bet. And they did. Like I said, we don't need to go into it because Robin jumping into archery competitions and sweeping the whole thing with his merry brand of panache is like a trope unto itself. I mean, he did so well that he all but split an arrow with another arrow. John and Will didn't do as well as Robin. No one ever does. But they did well enough to unseat the second and third place winners. The gold, the wine, the deer, a lot more wine, ale and bows, Robin and his crew took it all. They also took the pardons, which were good because now all the king's knights knew who they were. Still, Robin knew how to work a crowd. He stood atop the massive ton of wine that had been rolled out and announced that he didn't need any of this. The prizes would go to the men who won them initially. And the rest of the wine, ale, and bows, well, there were 800 thirsty archers here. The grumble of the archers instantly exploded into cheers as they collectively decided that this Robin guy he was all right. All it took was 2,000 gallons of free drinks. Robin tucked the horn away, something to remember this event by, and stepped down amongst the back slapping and smiles to see Little John, Will Scarlet, and Alan and Dale. They were livid. What? Were we going to take delivery of the wine in our hideout? Robin said. And besides, they already shot as many of the king's deer as they wanted. Also, Robin pointed to the king, who had the Bishop of Hereford whispering into his ear. Jig was up. Time to go. John whined that the king promised sweet purge pardons. Yes, and a man who has never experienced consequences for anything and has his every whim granted immediately would never go back on his word just because he feels like it, Robin said. John said, "Uh, Okay, yeah, that tracks, but you don't have to be a jerk about it. Let's go. We'll catch up with Robin on the run, but that will be right after this. The guys partying out in the field gave the merry men just enough of a buffer to get out of the city. They had to leave their horses, and by nightfall, they spotted the twinkling lights of an inn. 10 or 12 miles outside of London, and not even sure if the king was hunting them, they decided that it would be safe to stop here for the night. It's not, they heard from a nearby cloaked figure, when they sat down at a table for their dinner. The four men looked over, it's, it's, it's not what. Safe, the voice said. Safe to stop for the night? The figure said he, he thought they would be thinking it would be safe to stop when they walked in. So, he was just quickly contradicting himself for dramatic effect. I mean, I was thinking like... I wonder what the innkeeper is serving for dinner. Should I use the outhouse now or will I have to go back out? Robin said, we settled the safety issue like 10 minutes ago. The other guys nodded. Also, who are you? The stranger took off his hood. Hey guys, it's me, Richard Partington, the queen's page said. He was just trying to be cool and ominous, but really it's not safe to stay here. The king went back on his pardon and when he couldn't have them arrested at the archery fields, He assembled 50 score knights. That's a thousand guys. Thank you, Richard Partington, page to the queen, Robin said. More of an announcement than anything, and rose. He turned to his men and said in the Kiefer Sutherland style full volume whisper that it was time for them to go. They wouldn't stop until they made it to St. Albans. They could hide out in the cathedral. They'd be safe there. They immediately rushed from the building. Outside, Robin turned to John, Will, and Alan. All right, they were going to split up. No use all of them getting caught. John said that he thought they were going to St. Albans. Robin said inside that they were going to St. Albans. Robin rolled his eyes. He said inside that they were going to St. Albans, in front of the tavern owner, and did dozen people willing to offer that information up to the king's men when they rode through. Just then, Richard Partington emerged from the inn. Just to confirm, they weren't actually going to St. Albans, right? He asked. Little John laughed. Of course not. That would be stupid. St. Albans. They said that in front of the whole tavern. Robin grimaced. All right, John. Just, he gets it. Richard Partington nodded. Cool. He shouldn't know what route they were actually taking. Should he be questioned? He would let the queen know they were safe. He apologized for the king going back on his word. Yeah, Robin said. Who would think that a man who believed that he derived his right to rule directly from the will of God would think that the rules don't apply to him? Nah, he wasn't mad at Richard. They were ready for this. He told the page to stay safe on his journey back to London. And the four bandits broke off into the night. Despite their plans to split up, Alan, Will, and little John all went together, mainly because it was Robin, who the king was after, but also because Robin apparently didn't think John or Alan were smart enough to make it home secretly without Will, who he said was the smartest of the trio, in front of the trio. The king's 1,000 warriors arrived at the inn mere hours later, surrounding it, and threatening to burn it to the ground. The patrons spilled out, explaining that Robin and his men had already left. With a smirk, the innkeeper was happy to report that he knew exactly where Robin Hood was going, St. Albans. After the king's men rode 10 miles up to St. Albans and yanked some very confused and terrified priests from their beds, demanding to see Robin Hood, they realized that they had been given the slip. The men stayed there through the night, just kind of sitting on their hands, not knowing what to do until morning when the Bishop of Hereford rode into town demanding to know why they were just sitting around. Robin might not be here, but they knew where he was headed. Sherwood Forest. More men from the king were coming. They needed to leave immediately and set up checkpoints for the roads entering Sherwood from the east and south, in addition to setting up a perimeter in the event that the bandits weren't using roads. The knight in charge sneered. He didn't take orders from a bishop. And then he turned and whispered to a second in command, Uh, uh, "'More men are on the way. "'You need to leave immediately "'and set up checkpoints "'for all the roads "'entering Sherwood "'from the east and south "'in addition to setting up a... "'Perimeter,' the bishop helped. "'Thanks,' the knight replied. "'Perimeter. "'Leave immediately.' Eventually, the knights just ended up "'following the bishop, "'who met with his friend, "'the sheriff of Nottingham, "'who, together, "'realized that with the king backing them, "'they had their best shot "'at taking down Robin.' Urgent messages were sent back to London, and knights poured into the region around Nottingham. An army had been deployed to take out one man. That one man, though, had no idea the lengths his enemies were going to hunt him. Robin had been walking for eight days now, and he was getting close to home. It hadn't been a pleasant walk through the woods, but he had been plowing ahead through thorns, crawling through mud, and getting a periodic face full of spiderwebs. But he was alive. He was within a couple of days of Sherwood if he stayed off the roads, but as he knelt down to drink from a cool stream, he wondered if he was being too cautious. His enemies had always tended toward incompetence. He was probably good just to head home. The whizzing sound that went straight over his head the moment he dipped said head down into the river told him that no. No, he was not good to just go home. Robin brought his head up from the river. What? What was that? He looked behind him, still in disbelief, at the arrow stuck into a tree. He turned to see a knight on horseback, knocking another. Robin jumped back just in time for the arrow to lodge in the dirt at his feet. He scrambled off into the bushes. There were shouts as the knight called others, saying that they got him. Robin was in the bushes. The knights peppered the bushes with arrows, and Robin actually ended up catching one in the chest that would have killed him, if not for his chainmail. He had one advantage on a band of knights from London. This was close to his home. He knew this area. He crawled through the bushes and around trees and soon he was back by the road, where he immediately found himself looking up at seven more mounted knights on a separate patrol. Both Robin and the knights stood stunned for like half a second until the knights gave a shout and unsheathed their swords and Robin dove back into the hedges. Robin will meet an unexpected traveler on the road, but that will be right after this. It was a harrowing few miles. Robin could hear the men in the woods and those on the road behind him almost the whole way, and though no arrow got as close as the one when he bent down to drink from the stream... They were way closer than he would have liked. He finally allowed himself to slow around Derby. Every time he got close to Nottingham, or Sherwood, he was blocked by soldiers. They were at every road, every ford, and every clearing in the forest. There were thousands now. Robin laid underneath the hedges, weighing his options. When he heard a voice, what you doing down there? Robin rolled over to see a middle-aged man wearing a traveler's cloak and looking down at him. Robin shook his head, and tried to wave the man off. But the man was intensely curious, why Robin was lying on his stomach, in the dirt. The man said he was a cobbler, someone who made and repaired shoes. He didn't get out of his shop much, but a farmer needed some help, so here he was. (laughs) Got paid too. Big fat chicken and a jug of beer. Money would have been nice, but he was just going to spend most of it on chicken and beer, so it kind of worked out. Robin... Looked up to him. Could not possibly be this easy, could it? He brought out one of his gold coins. Some of his winnings from the competition. I could give you money, Robin said. Robin hadn't eaten anything he couldn't forage for nearly a week now. A cold chicken dangling from a cobbler's belt sounded amazing. Robin pulled out two more coins. More than anything the cobbler had earned on any job ever. How much for your clothes? Now... I probably don't need to say this, but when a stranger you meet on the street offers you double your monthly salary for a cold chicken in your clothes, definitely take them up on that offer. That's free money. The cobbler was standing there in his underwear. When he realized that, he still had to walk through town. That's when Robin's cloak and tunic hit his face. Robin finished putting on the cobbler's clothes over his mail and said that he had no need for his own clothes now. The cobbler could have them, The story doesn't mention the cobbler recoiling at the smell of the clothes Robin had been living in for over a week and in which he had just run several miles, but soon, the men had traded clothes. They walked together and it was mere minutes until they heard a shout behind them. Stop right there, criminal scum. Robin spun around and threw up his hands. He didn't know what was going on. Please, nobody hurt him. Soon, the pair was surrounded and the knights had bows and lances trained on the cobbler in the blue cloak. Wow, what's going on, guys? Robin said that he was just a cobbler from, uh... Uh, 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 wait, what was the nearest town? Oh, Derby? Then I had asked, Derby, that's it. He was walking alongside this guy who was bragging about winning some archery competition in London, Robin said. The actual cobbler turned to him. What was Robin talking about? The knight, as he dismounted, barked that they were asking the questions here. He turned to the cobbler in the blue cloak, who insisted that he was the cobbler from Derby. The man just paid him to trade clothes. The knight sneered. That's what they all say. Wait, they all say, I'm a cobbler from Derby who just traded clothes with the guy next to me? Is the sentence the cobbler got about halfway through before the knight punched him in the stomach and he went down hard. The knight said that the bishop told them that Robin Hood would try to talk his way out of stuff. The knight pointed to Robin. You, prove you're a cobbler. Robin nodded, something he could do because he was a cobbler. Not the dessert, though, which was delicious. Ah, this was about shoes. Shoes and boots. Can't forget boots. They have laces, sometimes. Most times. Heels. Shoes have heels, right? Sometimes we nail them in there in this time period. Oh, can't forget soles. There are souls too. They're on the bottom, uh, but it's spelled differently than the soul in your body. The knight held up his palms. (laughs) Okay, professor. Enough with the shop talk. You're a cobbler. He turned to his fellow soldier. This other guy checks out. He looked to the doubled-over cobbler in Robin Hood's blue cloak, who was just now rising from the ground. Send word ahead. We got him. The knight turned to Robin. Stay safe out there on the road. You never know who you're walking next to. Shoe bet? Robin rejoined. The knight chuckled. If he was ever in derby, he was looking up this cobbler. He turned to his fellow knight. This cobbler was very good. Robin felt a little sorry for the actual cobbler, that he heard the knight uh, subduing, but he got out of there while his enemies were displaying their usual level of incompetence. Thanks to the cobbler's generous sacrifice, Robin was able to ease up on the pace a little. He spouted whatever shoe and or dessert knowledge he could to the passing knights until they were assured of his profession. He stopped to cook the chicken, and then he was able to get a room at the inn in derby that night. But because of the knights flooding the region, they were nearly full up. The only thing left was a dingy attic room, and that he would probably have a roommate that night. But it was like Moby Dick, where the roommate meant bedmate, because the rooms only had one bed. Robin asked if the bed was the ground, because if it wasn't, then it was better than where he had been sleeping for the past week. The innkeeper pointed him up the stairs, and in minutes, Robin was dead to the world. When he woke up 12 hours later, feeling like a new man, he rolled over and smiled at the man who was sharing the bed with him. Well, that's a freebie. <laughs> In the night, a friar had stopped by the inn in a desperate attempt to find lodging for the night because the storm had just cropped up. Like Robin, he didn't care that he might be sharing a room with someone until he saw a lowly cobbler sleeping in the bed that he would be sharing. He sneered at this indignity, put on his night clothes, and went to bed. When he awoke, he found both the cobbler and his own clothes gone. The friar grumbled, but he was grateful at least that the cobbler had left his own clothes. His priory was nearby and he could get replacement robes so he didn't have to travel too far in these stinking traveling clothes. The friar had a pleasant breakfast that definitely wasn't full of spit after he chewed out the innkeeper for the cobbler robbing him the night before and decided to just put it all behind him. He would be back home soon, back in his own clothes. It was all gonna be okay. He took one step out of the inn that morning, heard a shout, and then five knights dog-piled on top of him. Down the road a ways, Robin was sitting atop the friar's mule, the one that he demanded the innkeeper get ready for him that morning, waiting at one of the checkpoints to get into Sherwood Forest, wearing the clothes and somber look of a priest. He knew some of the priest hand gestures and maybe a little more Latin than a knight, so he would be able to fake it when interrogated, but he exhaled, When he heard hooves behind him, and a shout that they got him. They found him in the cobbler's clothes, leaving the inn. He didn't even put up a fight. Then at the checkpoint said that he wanted to be part of the group that brought in Robin Hood. He looked over the rest of the travelers. Eh, Seems like a good group. He galloped off back toward town. They traveled the roads, breaking off one by one, until Robin Hood, in the guise of the friar, was the only one that remained on the road to Sherwood Forest not the only one that remained. Up ahead, a knight poked a fire. He was one of the king's knights, but not one that was hunting Robin. It was Sir Robert, the knight that Robin had helped. Robert, Robin said with a nod. The knight sat up straight and thanked God that he had found Robin before the others. Robert said that he had just come from the hideout in Sherwood Forest. As a knight of the king, he could pass through the barricades. Robin pointed over his shoulder The barricades, he just passed through the barricades, if you could call them that. They were just a few easily fooled knights harassing strangers, you know, easy peasy. Look over that hill, Robert said. He would wait. Robin looked at his friends sideways and climbed the next hill, staying low. On the other side, a familiar form stood. It was the sheriff. And he wasn't alone. Now here's where we open the episode. You see, the sheriff had his eyes on the prize. He knew that, to be safe, Robin needed to return to Sherwood Forest. So, the problem wasn't Robin. It was the forest. If Robin could slip into the woods, he would vanish. So, the sheriff would take care of the forest. He and the bishop had been waiting for this day, when Robin spat in the eye of the king. They handpicked dozens of knights, educated them on Robin's tactics, and went straight for Robin's heart, Sherwood Forest. The king thought that he had Robin, with the friar they had just arrested, but the sheriff knew that it could never be that easy. So, once the king discovered the ruse, with the torches hovering mere feet from the forest, the only option was to go scorched earth. When the king sent the word, they would torch the forest, and shoot anyone that emerged. Robin knew the sheriff, as well as the sheriff knew him. He knew there was no going home. He slipped back down the hill, meeting Robert, the knight on his horse, the knight already up on his horse. He looked up at the knight. He needed to go to London. Did the man need a squire? The knight tossed the outlaw uniform. He thought Robin would never ask. The queen entered her room. The candles were out. She froze and then dismissed her ladies. She wasn't feeling well. They asked if she wanted them to light the candles, get the doctor, but she just sat down in the dark, gripping her head. Please, a moment. The women bowed and left. When they did, she took her fingers from her temples and scanned the darkness with her eyes. You made a promise. A familiar voice called out at her. She shrugged. She said that Richard said that Robin and all of his companions made it back to Sherwood alive. That wasn't the promise. Robin rejoined from the darkness. (sighs) Queen Eleanor sighed. Look, the king was the king. She had pull, but she had a limited number of favors she could call in, and she had no idea that he would pull out all of the stops. Sorry but Robin just wasn't worth it, even for Marion's husband. It was impressive, though. My family will die if you don't keep your promise, Robin said. (laughs) The queen laughed. Forty days, right? That That was the deal you made with the king? What is 40 days supposed to do? You know what you did by competing, right? By making enemies with the most powerful men in England. You stuck your head into a lion's mouth. And now you're yelling at me because of your terrible decision making? You invited me, Robin yelled back from the darkness. And you didn't need to show up, the queen shook her head. She had been honest with him since the beginning. She invited him to humiliate her husband, the king. She didn't think he was being honest with himself about why he accepted the invitation. It wasn't for the winnings. They threw those away or spent them on what? A cobbler's stinking traveling clothes? It wasn't to somehow ingratiate himself with the crown. You don't win points with someone by embarrassing them. Robin accepted the invitation because he needed to feed his own ego. He was the best and everyone had to know it. Well, now they knew it and the sheriff was about to burn down Sherwood Forest. Congrats. His reward for winning was losing everything. The queen rose and Robin told her to sit. (sighs) She laughed. She knew Robin wouldn't kill her because she knew he was a good man. The thing is, the people he opposed, those whose laws he broke to help the poor and downtrodden, they weren't good men. And he was now beginning to see what lengths they would go to in order to return to the status quo. The kings, the sheriffs, the bishops, they weren't worried about Robin, not truly. He was just a man. They were worried about what he represented, about his growing group in the forest. They were worried about the normal, everyday people who might listen to a man tell them that things didn't have to be as they were. That they could stand up to oppression. The queen said that she didn't care about Robin or what, what would he call it, his little mission? But he was too bold. He wasn't just an outlaw anymore. He was now part of something bigger than himself. He needed to think about that. He couldn't escape forever. She paused. She said that she would honor her word. She would call in her favor with the king. He had 40 days. She would make sure the sheriff didn't burn down the forest and she would arrange for safe passage home for Robin. Robin laughed. So somehow, somewhere, she did care. The queen scoffed. Was he not paying attention to any of that? No, she didn't care. Not about him, at least. In the past week, new information had come to her attention. It was Marion. Robin was still. What what was wrong with Marion? She needs to get out, the queen informed Robin. The sheriff knows. Robin stepped forward from the darkness. What did the queen mean? Was she in danger? Eleanor shrugged, that's all she knew. That the sheriff made the connection between the Sherwood band and his page, Marion, and he was planning to do something about it. She had tried to get a coded message to Marion days ago, but it had gone unanswered via all the usual channels. Marion wasn't safe, and Robin was the only one who could do anything about it. She could handle herself to an extent, as Robin knew, but the sheriff was a dangerous man, and she needed to get out. There was a knock at the door. Robin stepped back into the darkness, but Richard Partington, the queen's page, stepped in. The queen said right on time. They were done. She told Richard to take Robin to the lodging she had prepared. They could leave tomorrow. You have 40 days, the queen said to the outlaw. Find a way out. For all of you. And the queen was true to her word. They passed thousands of nights on the road. Everyone who had been hunting Robin now couldn't touch him. When he and Richard approached Sherwood, Robin looked up in the hill, to the silhouette sitting atop a horse. It was him, the sheriff, flanked by his best from Nottingham. The man nodded at Robin. Robin lacked his usual bravado, and he simply turned and looked to the forest, to safety, but it was safe only for a time. The age of daring outlaws and living free in the forest was ending. The world he had offended had come hunting for him. They had 40 days. 40 days to devise a way out. 40 days to get Mary into safety. 40 days until it all came crashing down. That's where we're gonna leave Robin for now. Next week, we're staying in Britain for the long-awaited return of the King Arthur stories, and we're back with something of a soft reboot. So, if you haven't heard them in a while, and you haven't because it's been almost two years, this is the perfect place to jump back in. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a tortilla blanket, a five-foot diameter blanket that looks like a warmed flour tortilla, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that, aren't as versatile as a tortilla blanket. And if you're more into corn tortillas, they have those. They also have waffles, pizza and pie, and over 33,000 five-star reviews, which is way more than we have. Anyway, check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Wolpertinger from German folklore. Now, the Wolpertinger is a lie to mess with tourists, like the American jackalope, or maybe the Australian drop bear, which I'm pretty sure isn't something people believe in, but everyone who I've interacted with from Australia really holds the line on that one. So, I don't know. Maybe? (laughs) Anyway, like the jackalope at least, it's something that's made up because taxidermists had extra parts laying around, and they wanted to mess with tourists. The story goes that the Wolpertinger is what happens when a deer and rabbit's eyes meet across the clearing, and they feel some complex interspecies feelings. I mean, they have a lot in common. They're both mammals, both prey animals, both herbivores. That's kind of it. Regardless, however the mechanisms for that sort of thing work, they realize their love, and the Wolpertinger's grandparent is the result. I say grandparent because... Following the deer and rabbit's lead, and definitely not because taxidermists had a bunch of extra parts on hand and wanted to have some fun, all the other animals of the forest realized that they don't have to stick to their own species, and everyone began coupling up in weird ways. Ducks and weasels, boars and hawks. Eventually, these filtered down into one creature, the Wolpertinger. There are variations, of course, but the main version of the Wolpertinger has bird feet, deer antlers, boar tusks, hawk wings, and the body, head, and ears of a rabbit. They are almost completely harmless to humans, but they can be pretty helpful. If you have baldness that you would like to do something about, the Wolpertinger can help with that. Part of the side effect of being a combo of all the forest creatures, the Wolpertinger's spit can cure baldness, because reasons, causing tufts of hair to sprout wherever it touches human skin. Before you go hunting down the grandchild of every creature in the forest for some all-natural roguing though, Be aware that, like a skunk, which must have worked its way into the mix at some point, the Wolpertinger will spray the person with horrible-smelling liquid. But unlike the skunk, it can't be removed. So you might have those luscious locks, but you will reek until the smell magically disappears seven years from the moment you are sprayed. If someone has a, well, another typically male problem of things not working as they should, apparently things can get a little more intense because the Wolpertinger has a solution for that. But unfortunately, it involves cracking open the bones of the Wolpertinger and sucking out the nectar inside. And then urinating across a stream's current is apparently the cure to that particular problem. When it comes to catching the Wolpertinger, it's apparently very easy. Prop open a bag with a shovel and put a lit candle into it. The Wolpertinger will be attracted to the light, and once it's in there, you just close the bag. And then, rub it spit all over your head, kill this impossibly cute chimera, crack open its bones to suck out the marrow, and enjoy spending seven years smelling like the monster that you are. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.